The Moth Podcast is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Calling all educators. Join the Moth this summer for the Virtual Moth Teacher Institute. We're not your average teacher training. Forget what you think you know about professional development. At MTI, we're all about infusing your classroom with the magic of storytelling. MTI is for 5th to 12th grade teachers, whether you're looking to fine-tune your strategies or you're a curious newcomer eager to learn more about moth storytelling. Picture this, a new community of teachers all over the country. Vibrant discussions, engaging activities, live storytelling shows, access to moth curriculum, and so much more. This summer, MTI will take place from August 5th to the 9th. Applications close on June 23rd. Visit themoth.org forward slash MTI to apply today. Welcome to The Moth Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Jalowski. At The Moth, the written word has a special place in our hearts. You might know us best from our live events, our radio show, or even the podcast you're listening to right now. But ever since 2013, The Moth has published books, starting with 50 true stories up to How to Tell a Story, which just released this April and is available wherever books are sold. For 2022, we've been marking our 25th anniversary by going back through each year of The Moth's existence. To celebrate 2013, the year we published our very first book, we'll be sharing a never-before-heard story from Neil Gaiman, all about the lengths he went to to become a writer. After that, well, we may hear a little bit more from him. Neil Gaiman told this story in 2013 at a Boston Story Slam, where the theme of the night was office. Here's Neil, live at the mall. Um, when I told my dad I wanted to be a writer, he thought I was going to starve and suggested that instead um, I got a sort of office job. I could show people around show homes. I was 22 and I was very poor and I said no. I was going to be a writer. I was going to do it my way. So I started doing interviews and I sold two interviews. One to an incredibly respectable women's magazine, which paid me $80 and never published it. <laughs> and one, almost accidentally, to Penthouse UK, who paid me $600 and published it the following month. And I now had a profession. I was doing interviews for English men's magazines, providing them with the words that people didn't read.
they knew that people read the letters columns and they knew they looked at the pictures and they didn't think anybody really read the interviews with science fiction writers or pop stars or whoever I wanted to interview. So they just let me do it. Occasionally for Penthouse. After a while I settled down at two rather sad little English men's magazines. Or well, one, really. It was called Nave. And it had a sister publication <laughs> called Fiesta. <laughs> which was famous for having readers' wives. It had invented the reader's wife, which were little Polaroids of people standing proudly naked in front of their furniture. I kind of had a girlfriend. She was my cousin Laura's roommate. And we had both come to the independent conclusion that if my cousin Laura noticed that I was sleeping with her roommate, this might be problematic. <laughs> so I had a roommate, I had a girlfriend if my cousin Laura had gone off to see her mum for the night. <laughs> I was 22. I would take what I could get. The money was not really very good. It was enough to uh, pay for food, pay my meager rent, and I was saving up for an electric typewriter, because this was a long time ago. So I was thrilled when Martin, who was the assistant editor on Fiesta, said, I'm going on holiday for a week, going caravanning in Devon. That's, that's a kind of camper van if you're English. Um, would you like to just sort of sub for me? You could be uh, assistant editor. We'll pay you 120 bucks a day. And I went, yes. I would really like to do that, Martin. It sounds wonderful. I didn't really know what it was going to entail. I turned up on Monday and was handed a box of readers' letters. Lots of people think that the readers' letters um, are made up by people who sit there and make them up. And, and there may well be magazines in which the readers' letters are made up. Fiesta, they were not made up. <laughs> uh, mostly, they weren't typed either. They were written in strange, wiggly handwriting. And it was my job to type them up. I was 23, just. I was not really au fait with the beautiful rainbow-hued nature of human sexuality at that point. <laughs> I'd only gone as far as the letters that they would print. I didn't understand that there were letters that they wouldn't print. And now I was reading them, <laughs> and typing them, or deciding not to type them. Strange letters from girls who had incredible crushes on 70-year-old men and did very rude things with them, written, strangely enough, in a peculiar wiggly handwriting that I'd only ever seen before, coming from very, very elderly men. Letters from people who liked urinating in public, preferably at trade shows, and places with dark carpets. 
and I'd learn how you move around a room slowly, just leaving a few drops there and a few drops. On Wednesday night, my cousin Laura was out of town, and I went over to her place for my romantic tryst with her roommate, Beverly. And I sat there, and Beverly took off all her clothes. And I started explaining to her how I was starting to hope that human beings would begin to reproduce by splitting down the middle like amoebas. <laughs> and she told me she thought my office job was actually getting to me. <laughs> and I told her that she was right. And the next morning, which was Thursday, I retired from the only office job I've ever had. That was Neil Gaiman. You probably wouldn't be surprised to hear that retiring from that office job turned out to be a pretty good decision. In fact, our artistic director, Catherine Burns, chatted with Neil about his extremely eventful post-office job career and what it means to be a storyteller in 2022. Here's that conversation. I remember actually being offered a job um, back then as well. I was very excited because it was the first real job that I'd been offered, and it was features editor of Penthouse. And I had to actually decide for myself. And it was, it was one of those moments where I could see the road and it bifurcated. Because on the one hand, I could have been features editor of Penthouse UK. And it would have been a real job. I would have had commissioning power. I would have had a weekly wage as opposed to a freelance wage for whatever, you know, I was writing things, I was writing short stories, whatever I could do to support myself with my pen and my typewriter. And, and we had, I don't think we'd even got to the computer point yet, or if we had, I was just about to buy one. But I just remember getting the call from them saying, you know, we'd, we'd like you to be features editor. And I thought, okay, I have this mad career plan right now, where I am living freelance writing check to freelance writing check, doing interviews and articles and the occasional short story and so forth. So, so. And I'm surviving, but I think this is a path that will take me if I keep walking it all the way to being the author that I want to be, all the way to being the creator of fiction that I want to be. Or I can go over here on the other fork of the path and I can become this editor. And yes, I will have a other career and I probably won't be at Penthouse very long. I'd probably go from there onto something like, you know, into Fleet Street, onto the Sunday mm -hmm. Times or whatever. That seems to be the career path onto another magazine, but, uh, but I will look around 20 years from now and I won't have been an author. I'll, I'll have been doing all the other stuff and I'll, I'll still have raised a family and I'll, I'll still, you know, and I'll probably have made a lot more money, um, <laughs> but I won't be the thing that I need to be. And I said no. And I look back at that moment, 
And there are enough points in my life where I go back and go, you made a really stupid decision there. That that one time, I just want to pat myself on the back and go, you did the right thing. I love that. I definitely relate to it. I was offered at a critical point in my career to be um, an agent in LA. And people, a lot of people have thought I would make a great agent, not to, because I'm just so, like I pitch other people's stories. I'm just, you know, I'm very enthusiastic about the people I love. But I remember calling the big agent I would work for and saying no. And I was getting a big break to do it and hanging up the phone and shaking and crying. But it was because what I was doing instead was going off to New York for the summer to produce three independent films <laughs> and couch surf. But that is what led me to being me, you know? And it's the same exact thing. It's, it is that weirdness where you have to choose. Are you, are you going for some kind of financial certainty? Are you going to safety? Or are you going to head out into the waters where you may drown? Yep. But if you don't drown, the stuff you're waiting, the stuff you want is waiting for you on the other side. And I love, I love that you're doing this because uh, mm -hmm. I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, the moth wouldn't exist in the form it's in if you had been an agent. Oh, thank you. So the story we, we just heard was about your first job out of college, working as a writer and an editor at a series of somewhat dubious publications. <laughs> it ends with, you, with your sometimes girlfriend encouraging you to quit. And so what happened next? So that job, which was doing things like editing readers' letters and uh, stuff, I really, I never did that again. That was, that was a fairly early thing, and I was very glad to have not done that. But I continued doing interviews with, you know, authors, with directors, with film stars, with uh, rock stars, with all sorts of people, for all sorts of very dubious publications <laughs> for years afterwards. That was how I could afford to feed my children. Uh, that was how I could afford to survive until one day I looked around in about 1987 and I had a career writing comics and also somewhere in there my journalistic career had become more respectable as well i was doing a lot more work for publications like time out and a lot less work for publications like knave or, or penthouse <laughs> or whatever that's beautiful so you're currently on tour in the u.s will you tell me about that i'm on tour right now um it's it's basically two delayed tours back in 2020 i was meant to go out for a couple of weeks in april and for a couple of weeks in october and talk at a few festivals and and various college events and things like that and everything obviously got postponed and got pushed and now here we are two years later I mean, there are people who bought tickets for these events in December 2019, and we are having this conversation right now in May 2022. And 
really, um, what I'm doing is figuring it all out as I go along. There's lots and lots of questions from the audience, um, all of them submitted on stacks of cards, which is just nice because that way I'll read something and then I'll do a question or two from a card and then I'll read something else and do another question or two from a card. Um, and I'm loving doing that and I'm doing stories that I've been doing for so long um, that I have retired them and you know there, there are things I've been reading that I haven't read for 15 or 20 years because I felt like I was done and mm. now because of the strangeness on being to, on tour sort of post pandemic shutdown it felt really good initially to go back to things that I let go because they were familiar and then because I realized that it's very different reading a story that you wrote when you're 30 when you're in your 60s. And, um, and sometimes, especially because, you know, looking at one of the stories that I've loved reading is a story called Chivalry. And uh, it's about a little old lady who buys the Holy Grail in a charity shop. And what happens when Sir Galahad turns up at her little suburban house on his quest? And and when I wrote it, I was thirty and identifying. I guess if I identify with anybody in that story, with Galahad. And now, in my early sixties, I identify absolutely with Mrs. Whitaker. And uh, and it's just a lovely experience reading that story again. So Neil, you have been around the moth for quite some time now. And how have, what have you seen as far as how the moth has grown and changed over the years? For me, I think the, I, I got involved in the moth in 2006 or 2007, back then for a, uh, it was a, Penn New York event to book festival and I backed into the moth. I didn't even know it existed. It was just down on my schedule as something I had to go and do. And I, I did it and it was like finding my people in a weird kind of way. It was like, oh, I, I love this thing. I didn't know this was a thing. And and it's magical and it's special. And at the time it felt very secret. You know, I was plugged in and I didn't know about them all. Um, so one of the things I've, I've seen in the intervening, I guess, 15 years um, is people know about them all. The, the growth of the podcast, the growth of the radio, um, the growth of the moth in schools as well. Yeah. Um, but you did so much support and nurture. Thank you. I, I will, I've been so proud to be able to do that. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is the idea that we are our stories. Um, watching, watching the moth turn into books. Um, 
has been an absolute delight. Watching the presence of the moth grow, because one of the things that I love most about the moth is that the stories that work best, the stories you learn the most from, sometimes have small triumphs in, but they're always about the places we screwed up. They're yep. always about the mistakes that we made. They're always about being vulnerable and they're always about, at the end of the day, just being, being human and being human comes with the screw-ups. That, I feel, has in its own kind of strange way started to permeate society. Just the idea that we can be less perfect just the idea that our stories are these magical things that continue. And what's important is being vulnerable, being open, carrying on. Amen. Neil Gaiman is the award-winning New York Times bestselling author of novels such as Neverwhere, American Gods, and Coraline, the Sandman series of graphic novels, and the story collection Smoke and Mirrors, Fragile Things, and Trigger Warning. He's a member of the Moth's board of directors and a many-time Moth storyteller and host. If you'd like to learn more about storytelling, our latest book, which just released on April 26th, is called How to Tell a Story, and it features lessons from people like Hassan Minhaj, Roseanne Cash, Elizabeth Gilbert, and yes, Neil Gaiman. Just go to themoth.org slash books and we'll have all the links. That's all for this week. We hope you'll come with us as we continue to take a look back at some of our favorite stories from the Moth's 25-year history. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week. Michelle Jalowski is a producer and director at The Moth, where she helps people craft and shape their stories for stages all over the world. This episode of The Moth Podcast was produced by Sarah Austin Janesse, Sarah Jane Johnson, and me, Mark Sollinger. The rest of the Moth's leadership team includes Catherine Burns, Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cloutier, Suzanne Rust, Inga Glodowski, and Aldi Kaza. All Moth stories are true, as remembered by their storytellers. For more about our podcast, information on pitching your own story, and everything else, go to our website, themoth.org. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange helping make public radio more public at prx.org. Support for The Moth comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so that you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash moth. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash moth.